0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: According to Paul the Apostle, if Jesus stayed dead, if he didn't rise, then our faith is in vain. A dead Savior is no Savior. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, he said, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity is of no consequence. If the resurrection is true, then Christianity is of ultimate importance.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, in a message titled, The Empty Tomb. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: We have come to the 16th, the final chapter of our studies here in the Gospel of Mark. And of course, we're here following the history. And Mark has written this beautiful, concise, but very rapid-paced account of the life, the ministry, the death, and now the resurrection of Jesus. And, you know, I love the just the the simplicity and the clarity of these resurrection accounts. And Mark's account of the resurrection is probably the most brief of all of them. So there's plenty of other details that aren't in Mark that if you put Matthew and Luke and John, if you put it all together, it doesn't change the story. It just fills it out a little bit. But we're going to just stick really closely with Mark here today. We're really going to just to kind of zero in and talk about the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection, because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is as much a part of the gospel as his sacrificial death on the cross. And although we know that sometimes, even in our speaking and sometimes even in our songs of worship, you know, we talk about the cross and we glory in the cross, and that's all good. But we have to remember that the cross without a resurrection is basically meaningless. Everything that Jesus said and everything that he promised that he would do through his death on the cross, you know, it stands or falls on whether or not he rose. Because if he rose and everything he said is proven to be true. But if he did not rise, if he actually stayed dead, then, well, according to Paul the apostle, if Jesus stayed dead, if he didn't rise, then our faith is in vain. And so we need to remember to keep those two things together. A dead savior is no savior. Our savior is living and he's our savior. We know we we can have certainty because of the fact that he rose from the dead. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis. He said something like this. He said, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity is of no consequence. If the resurrection is true, then Christianity is of ultimate importance. And he's pretty much there, you know, just echoing what the New Testament says. Because, again, everything hinges on the resurrection. So if it's not true, then this is of no consequence. Our gathering today, why even bother to do it? That was that was the attitude of the uh, apostles, and especially of Paul. And so, of course, we are here today because we believe that the resurrection is true. And if the resurrection is true, then there are certain things that follow from that that are also true. And we're going to end up looking at each one of these today, but let me just mention them real quickly. If the resurrection is true, then it's also true that there is a God. It's true that Jesus is that God. The Bible is proven to be true. Heaven and hell are proven to be a reality. And the eternal destiny of each person is connected to Jesus Christ, and whether or not one has a relationship with him. So those things follow from the resurrection, if the resurrection is indeed true. Now, like I said, we're going to come back to that and, and look at that at the end. But what I want to do is I want to look at some of the theories and you know, some of the arguments against the resurrection, because people have been denying the resurrection since it began to be proclaimed. Since Jesus rose from the dead, there have been those that have denied. And there are still plenty of deniers today. There are still people who are coming up with different alternative theories and naturalistic explanations and things like that uh, to try to dismiss the resurrection. So we want to look at some of those, just just go through them and mention them fairly briefly. And, And then we want to also look at the evidences that support the resurrection. You know, we live in an age of radical skepticism. And so it's necessary for us to not only know what we believe, but to know why we believe it. And to know there's a a good basis for believing what we believe. So we're going to look at those two things, and then we'll come back around to these five things that, I mentioned just a moment ago, and as we look at these two the the theories that reject the resurrection and then things in support of the resurrection, just to give credit to whom credit is due, I found this list of things in the the christ centered exposition commentary, so don't want to plagiarize by not acknowledging my source here so let's look at these first of all naturalistic or alternative theories that reject the resurrection. So we're going to look at 10 of these. But like I said, we'll do it rather swiftly. So the first one is the swoon theory. And perhaps you've heard of that. Maybe you haven't. The swoon theory was popularized by a book that was written, I think it was in the 60s. might have been the 70s. But it, the book was called The Passover Plot. And in the Passover plot, the author basically said that the whole death and resurrection thing of jesus this is something that he strategically planned out himself there wasn't really a death nor was there really a resurrection jesus didn't die he just swooned and he was taken down off the cross he had because of the the intense physical trauma that he had gone through he had fainted and they thought he was dead so they put him in the tomb And then there in the tomb, he was revived. You know, he woke up out of that state. And then, you know, somehow he unwrapped himself from the the grave clothes that he had been wrapped in. And then he somehow also moved away the stone that was rolled against or or across the front of the tomb. And anyway, he, he ends up reconnecting with his disciples, convinces them that he actually You know, died and rose again, and then they start to spread this story. But in fact, he never did die or rise. He he just swooned. Now, as we go through each one of these, this is what I want you to know: these are not ideas or theories that are just held by you know some ignorant people off in a corner somewhere. These are the ideas that you will hear communicated in the universities around the world. So, like you know, the smartest people in the world they think things like this like the swoon theory that this is a this is a valid explanation for what really happened over against this idea that Jesus really rose from the dead so the swoon theory is the first the second is the spirit theory and this idea is held by many people today many people who would refer to themselves as even progressive christians progressive christians are people who don't believe most of what the Bible says, don't believe in the miraculous and things like that. And so, you know, they label themselves as progressive. They used to be more well-known as, as liberal, but today they're progressive. And, but the idea here is that Jesus was not raised bodily, but he was raised spiritually. So there was actually no bodily resurrection of Jesus like the New Testament says, like we read about here in Mark. But um, he just, you know, his spirit rose, And so he's alive in the spirit realm, and that's how we understand the idea of the resurrection. It's interesting that that idea is held among many, as I said, progressive Christians, but it's also an idea that is promoted, uh, believed and promoted by the Watchtower Society. In a quote from the Watchtower Society, we know them as the Jehovah's Witnesses, they said this, King Christ Jesus was put to death in the flesh and resurrected an invisible spirit creature. So it's the same idea. It's a spirit theory. No actual bodily resurrection. Then thirdly, you have the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory is that Jesus preconditioned his disciples through hypnosis to hallucinate. And so this is the explanation they give for the resurrection. It was a mass hallucination. Jesus somehow hypnotized them and... You know, at a certain point, they began to promote the theory that there was a resurrection. And then, fourthly, there's the legend or myth theory. And the legend or myth theory, again, this is a very common one as well among the progressive mind. The resurrection is an embellished, exaggerated wonder story, they say, that developed over time. Indicating the significance, the mythical Jesus held over his followers. So in this theory, it's that Jesus didn't, of course, rise. But after time, you know, and the story being told over and over again, finally you get to this place. Well, now it's embellished to the point that there was a resurrection. Resurrection. And then as in that line of thinking and among people who think like that, they would then keep following that out and they would say, and then, you know, sometime four or 500 years after the time of Christ, people even, they deified Jesus. They began to refer to him as a God. They believed that he was a God. And so in their minds, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He wasn't God in human flesh. This just developed over time. It's part of this legendary or mythological thing that happened around Jesus. And then there's the stolen body theory. The stolen body theory is probably the oldest one because it's actually recorded for us in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew's account of the resurrection, Matthew tells us that the Jewish leaders, they bribed the the Roman soldiers to, to say that his disciples came and stole the body. And Matthew tells us that this this story was being circulated among the Jews of his day. So the stolen body theory. And then there is, believe it or not, the wrong tomb theory. The wrong tomb theory is that the disciples just went to the wrong tomb, and it was an empty tomb. So of course the body wasn't there because it was the wrong tomb that they were at. And then the whole gospel went out into the world Based on these people going to the wrong tomb. Then there is also the life for profit theory. The life for profit theory is basically that after the disciples recovered from their disappointment that Jesus wasn't really the Messiah, he didn't really rise from the dead, they decided, well, it's a fantastical story. Let's use it to make some money. So we will spread this story and get rich off of it. That, again, is a theory. Then there is the mistaken identity theory. Mistaken identity is simply that, that. It was actually probably the gardener at the tomb that they saw, but they mistook him for Jesus. Now, this is a little bit based on Scripture because in John chapter 20, where you have the resurrection account, you have the incident where Mary, she sees the resurrected Jesus, but at first she thinks it's the gardener. But then... She discovers through Jesus speaking to her that, no, it's actually the Lord. So they got part of it right. There was a mention of a gardener, but they've taken it to this extreme of no actual resurrection, but it was just a case of mistaken identity. And then here's one that I had never heard before, and this one is quite interesting. It's the twin theory, that Jesus had an identical twin brother, no kidding, who he was separated from at birth, but conveniently showed up after his death and pretended to be Jesus. And nobody knew the difference because they looked just alike. This is a theory among academic thinkers. And then finally, and this one goes way back in history as well, this is the Muslim theory. So in Islam... Muslims do not believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. He didn't die at all. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. He was a good man. God would never let him die. So God actually took him out of that scene and put a substitute in his place. So it was not Jesus who died on the cross. It was this substitute. And as to who the substitute might have been, there's been speculation among Islamic scholars that perhaps it was Judas, even Pontius Pilate. I don't know how they could have even connected that, but they they theorized that it might have been Pontius Pilate, Simon of Cyrene, or one of the other disciples. So these are the 10 best arguments Against the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I might be just a little naive, but I don't think these arguments are very convincing myself. I think they're very, very weak. And if this is the best argument somebody has against the resurrection, I'm going to just stick with the resurrection because these ideas are really quite absurd. And they don't, stand up under scrutiny. Now, we're not going to take the time because we don't have the time, but you know, you could rip to shreds every one of these ideas, and and many people have have done this. As a matter of fact, it was in a debate with a, a leading apologist that an atheist guy suggested the twin theory, believe it or not. And so I could only imagine that it was William Lane Craig who was the Christian in the debate. I could only imagine what he thought when the guy came up with a twin brother theory. It would have been hard not to roll your eyes at that point and just, you know, feel sorry for the person. So these are some of there. There are others, but these are some of the naturalistic or alternative theories that reject the resurrection. Now, what are the evidences that support the resurrection? And there are many. I'm going to look at 10, but there are others. But let me just say the first one is, as I just mentioned, that the naturalistic theories cannot stand up to careful analysis. And and none of these theories really explain anything. They're just wanting to just deny that there's a resurrection. So they're going to come up with any possible alternative to a resurrection. Secondly, the birth of the disciples' faith and the radical changes in their lives would be an evidence for the resurrection. Now, remember, if you've read through the Gospels, and we see it a little bit here, remember one of the things that surrounded the death of Christ in regard to the apostles was tremendous fear they were deathly afraid that they themselves were going to become the next victims of Roman crucifixion. And so what they did is, you remember, they fled. They all fled and they hid and were even told specifically that they were in hiding for fear of the Jewish authorities. But then something suddenly changed. So they went from being so fearful that they fled from the place of crucifixion, and they were not seen in public then until 50 days later. And then after having been fearful, suddenly they reemerged back into public as bold as lions. And Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and he began to preach and even to indict the religious leaders and say, That God sent this Jesus whom you crucified, but it was impossible that death could hold him. God raised him from the dead, and we are his witnesses, and you took him, you by your wicked hands, you crucified him and slew him, but God made him the, the savior, and then he calls him to repent. So there's this radical transition that moves them from being cowardice to being so bold, that they would never deny Christ. They would actually end up, most of them, going to a martyr's death rather than deny the resurrection of Jesus. So there was that aspect of it. Their faith is birthed. And then there's also the radical transformation that occurred in the lives of each one of these men. Then there is the empty tomb and the discarded tomb grave clothes. So even though all of these other theories have been proposed, there's never been an explanation for the empty tomb. Well, the only explanation, I guess, is, well, it was the wrong tomb. Well, they could have navigated their way and found the right tomb. But it's interesting, you know, you can go to many sites in the world today, shrines, you can find the tombs of various religious leaders. You can even go to Israel. You can flood the tombs of the kings. And, you know, you can go to Jordan today. And there in the the mountains there on the Jordanian side of the Dead Sea, you can find a shrine there. And I don't think it's actually the case, but they say that this is where Aaron, the brother of Moses, is buried. And, you know, you, you can find these kinds of things but you cannot find a burial place for Jesus because the tomb was empty. Not only was the tomb empty, but interestingly, the grave clothes remained behind. So in, in the idea that you know, the body was stolen, it's interesting that these body snatchers would have actually taken the grave clothes off the body. Now, not only would that take some time to do, but what would be the purpose of that? But you know, the biblical picture of the grave clothes is the way John describes it. It's as though the body was still there. The the clothes were there like the body was still in them, but they were flattened out because the body was gone. And then John tells us that the headpiece, the napkin that was around the head of Jesus when he was buried, it was folded up and put there at the head of the grave clothes. And again, you th- you think about these these kinds of details. And this has never been explained. I mean, and who would even put something like this if it didn't happen? Who would even think to include something like and, and the head, the you know, the headpiece was folded up by itself, sitting there on the side. You know, this is the kind of stuff, it's hard to imagine that anyone would make up something like that. What would be the point? Then you have the fact that women reported the empty tomb first. Now, this is lost on us sometimes today because we don't understand the culture at the time. But in Jewish culture and under Jewish law, a woman could not testify because her testimony was not worth anything. It was of no value. Therefore, if I was going to present a case that I wanted to prove, if this wasn't the way it happened, I would never, ever, ever say that women were the first eyewitnesses to this event because I would completely lose the case right there at the beginning Because, of course, a woman's testimony is invalid. So here's the point. Why would they include something like this in the story if they were making this story up? Because that's the alternative. That's what all of the other theories are saying, right? That this story was made up by these people. But nobody would make up a story that they wanted people to believe... Try to convince everybody that this is true in first century Jerusalem and say that our first witnesses to this story are women, a bunch of women. Wouldn't have happened.
0: September Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. The story of Gladys Allward is one that inspires. God used Gladys Allward to reach the lost in China during a period of peril and war. The story is one that is transparent about her weaknesses and mistakes, but it's also a story of God's strength made perfect through weaknesses, God's promised provision, and a life surrendered to God. If you have a longing for God to use your life, Have been discouraged by setbacks or doubts That God can use you You need to get this book You'll be inspired by what God can do Through a life that is willing to follow him The book A London Sparrow The inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward By Phyllis Thompson Is our gift to say thank you For your donation to Back to Basics So we encourage you to call us right now At 1-800-733-6443 Or visit us online at Backtobasicsradio.com